0: and Domin singing page 134 my anchor holds 59 Jesus saves
1: Hi there. Good afternoon. Uh, we're excited to be back finally for a Sunday. We we've been going to church when we were visiting Oklahoma City. We were going to church over there, but we missed being here every single Sunday. It was it was rough, but we knew it was at that point. You know, like, we missed being home for a Sunday for a Sunday service. So we missed every single one of you, and we were we were super pumped to be able to be here today. Um, if we can go ahead, we we'll are go ahead and have a word of prayer real quick, if that's okay. If we can go ahead and pray for Miss Ellie Chin. I guess she's in the hospital now, and they're trying to the doctor's trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, so we can go ahead and just uh, go ahead and lead us in a word of prayer. You guys can pray there in your seat. We'll just pray for her, and then we'll get into the message. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this day of life you've given us, Lord. Thank you for the fact we get together here as a church family, Lord, and uh, being part of the same church family, Lord. We get to care for each other, Lord, get to... Uh, pray for one another, Lord, and we pray for Miss Chin right now, Lord, as she's currently at the hospital and doctors are trying to figure out what's going on. I just pray you uh, give them the wisdom and the guidance, Lord, give them uh, the ability to find out what's going on, and I just pray you help us all here to keep on praying for her, help us to be there for her and the family, and I just pray your hand over the whole situation. Help us to uh, get something from the message you have for us. Thank you for already meeting with us so far, Lord. Thank you for... Um, blessing us so much, Lord, and even just your gift of salvation. Pray you be with the rest of the service. Give me the words to say, Lord, and um, give me liberty in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to be reading out of Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. And I will tell you all, um, right off the get-go, I'll get into it a little bit later, but this is something the Lord's been working on in my heart personally. And to be honest, all the messages I preach to you all, um, the Lord has worked in my life, and He already preached it to me. So I just figured I might as well preach it to uh, the church. But I, I, it was a blessing to me. Um, it was a challenge to me, first and foremost. So I, I pray the Lord uses it the same way in somebody's life as He used it in my life. But Matthew chapter 20, and if you can stand uh, for the reading of the Scripture, I understand if you can, but if you can, we'll go ahead and stand now and read chap- Matthew chapter 20, verse 17. We'll start, that's where we start our reading. It says, And Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the 12 disciples apart in the way and said unto them behold we go up to Jerusalem and the son of man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him and the third day he shall rise again amen for that he w- he was telling them what was about to happen Verse 20 says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, that be James and John, Zebedee's children, um, with her sons worshipping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these two my sons, that my two sons may sit, the one on the right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is preserved, prepared by, of my father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren verse 25 will just a couple more verses here it says but jesus called them unto him and said ye know that the princes of the gentiles exercise dominion over them and they that are great exercise authority upon them but it shall not be so among you but whosoever will be great among you let him be your minister and whosoever will be chief among you let him be your servant even as the son of man came not to be ministered unto but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You guys can go ahead and be seated. May the Lord bless the reading of the, of, of the scripture there. And um, I titled my message uh, in the form of a question. So you want to be great, huh? And I, and I subtitled it, The Journey from Selfish Service to Selfless Servitude. The Journey from Selfish Service to Selfless Servitude. A large group of European pastors, I'm going to read a story now, an account here. A large group of European pastors came to one of a very famous evangelist meetings. His name was D.L. Moody. Um, they came to uh, the Northfield Bible Conference. It was held in Massachusetts in the late 1800s. It was a, lot of famous, a large group of European pastors came uh, to, to this, this conference. And there was a certain custom, a European custom you could say overseas at the time, um, following the European custom of the time, each guest would put his shoes outside of his dorm room or, or his, his room at the time, and it, these shoes were to be picked up and cleaned by the hall servants that night, every single night. But of course, one thing they forgot to realize was that they weren't in Europe anymore. They had to come overseas to America. So as these European pastors put their shoes outside their room, expecting the next morning for somebody to, for them to be nice, clean, and shined, they didn't realize that in America they didn't have the same custom as they did back in Europe. And walking the dormitory halls at night, it said that Moody saw the shoes and he didn't want his, his, his brothers to wake up the next day embarrassed. It was their custom. It would be embarrassing for them to have dirty shoes. It was a big deal for them. And he mentioned the need for these shoes to be cleaned to some of, of the students who were there. But the students sadly only met him with silence or some pretty embarrassing excuses as to why they couldn't get to the shoes. So Moody returned to the dorm, gathered up all the shoes from the hall, and alone in his room that night, he began to clean the shoes of all these other preachers. And he was interrupted about midway through by somebody who had just walked in to ask him a question. And and other than the other man, Moody and him were the only ones who knew what was happening. Moody didn't tell anybody, but the next morning this group of pastors, preachers, woke up and their shoes were shined back in the place where they had left him. But little did they know that the great evangelist that they were, co- they were coming to to hear, they were coming to be a part of this conference with, the great evangelist D.L. Moody is the one that shined their shoes. See, D.L. Moody, honestly, if he, wanted, if, if, if he could let the greatness of his preaching get to him, he could have said, I don't have to be the one shining their shoes. I'm not as low as a hall servant to shine these preachers' shoes. But no, he showed servitude and shined the shoes of these preachers. And he didn't, he didn't tell anybody. He didn't want no praise for it. He was simply being a servant. And... You know, we might, we, we might have our differences with, with, with D.L. Moody, but it, it's true, it, it, we can say that God greatly used D.L. Moody in his time. And maybe this act of service is sort of a glimpse, you could say, as to why deci- God decided to use him so much is because D.L. Moody was a servant. If we take into this account, he, he really could have said, that's not my job to do that. I'm not going to do that. But no, he showed servitude. And in this passage, Christ teaches the disciples the very same lesson, the importance of being a servant. A true servant. You see, we just read in verse 18 and 19 that Jesus had just finished telling his disciples, I'm going to die. The, the Son of Man is going to be crucified. And he, he's going to be betrayed, going to be crucified, but he'll rise again. Christ had, this, had, had the crucifixion on the forefront, forefront of his mind. He, that, was, that, was, that was his focus. But then, the mother of James and John... Um, comes and asks Jesus for a favor. And it reminds me of when I was younger and I wanted to be able to go over to a friend's house so badly. I knew my mom would tell me no if I asked. But if I got him to, to go up to her and ask for us and we rehearsed the perfect script as to why it'd be the perfect, awesome opportunity for me to get, to get to hang out with him, we could get it done. And I'd send my friend over and sure enough, my mom would see right through that. And, and James and John sent their mama to, to go and ask something of Jesus Christ. We see that in, uh, in verse eighteen, nineteen, Christ had just finished telling him about his crucifixion, and then here comes James and John's mom to ask him something. And we see that while Christ was focused on providing salvation for all of the world, James and John were more focused on position and power and sitting at the right hand of Jesus Christ. James and John were more focused on glory, position, and rank. Uh, one commentator said this, Jesus spoke about a cross, but they were interested in a crown. So how does Jesus Christ answer answer this request, this interesting request? Well, just like my mom would ignore my friend and answer me directly and say, you knew better than to send, um, uh, his name was Esteban, just for the sake of the story. You knew better than to send Esteban to ask for you? Jesus answers James and John directly. In verse 22, we see his answer. He says, but Jesus answered and said, he's talking to James and John now, he says, you know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of? And to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? So he answers them directly. And in short, he tells them this, that they have no idea what they're asking for. James and John are asking for the privilege to set the right and left hand of Jesus Christ. But Jesus is saying, you have no idea what it is you're asking for. You don't know what it's going to take for you to get what you're asking for. And very overconfidently, you can say, they say, yes, yeah, yeah, I'm capable of taking of that cup. And that cup he mentions there is the same um, use of the word that um, when he's praying in the garden of Gethsemane, and he it's a picture it's a an image, I guess you could say of of the what he was going to have to go through the heavy burden of paying paying the price for all of our sins on the cross that, that faithful day that 's what that pic, that image of the cup is there and, and and they said super confidently, "Of course we can take of the same cup as you, Jesus Christ but jesus says you have no idea what it is you're asking for. You don't know what it's like to take of that cup. It was a very selfish request. And Jesus goes on in verse 23, and he tells them that uh, they will indeed eventually drink of this cup, and we can see how how this later plays out. But it's funny, Jesus is having this, you could say, personal discipleship time with James and John, kind of putting them in their place, teaching them a lesson on, on, on their selfishness, At the same time, there's something else going on in the background. You see, there's ten other disciples that are there, and they overhear what's going on. And in verse 24, it says, And when the ten heard it, the other disciples, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. So we have James and John. They send their mom to ask a very selfish request of Jesus Christ. They want power, position, and glory. Jesus says, You don't know what it is you're asking for. At the same time, in the background, the the other ten overhear what's going on. And it says, the Bible says they get filled with indignation. And this, this word indignation, if I could say it, means to be greatly afflicted. So, why were they greatly afflicted? Well, it wasn't because they saw the selfishness of their two brothers in asking that of Jesus Christ. That's not why they were mad. They weren't greatly afflicted because they were, they were thinking to themselves, how dare these two ask this of Jesus Christ when he's about to die on the cross for our sins? No, the reason they were filled with indignation, the reason they were so upset about this, is because James and John were asking for the very same thing that they were seeking after. They felt threatened. They were selfish. The, the, the way that they reacted to this whole situation made them no different than James and John asking for this selfish request, asking for this power and glory. So now we see Jesus about to teach a lesson to 12 disciples who are focused on, on serving Him for their power, for their glory, for, for the position they can grab from it. He's going he's, he's to give them a little bit of a lesson here. So how does He react? Well, He calls them to Himself. And He teaches them a very important lesson. He teaches them that rather than being selfish, they must become servants. In verse 25, Christ makes a, com- a contrast between the, or a comparison, you could say, between the philosophy that the Gentile community had at the time and, the leader, and, and their leadership and his own philosophy. And he wasn't talking down on the Gentile community. He, 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 back then, the Jews would have been, we could say, a little, a little uh, biased, a little racist against the Gentiles. But Jesus wasn't doing that. He was just showing a picture, a picture of something very important. And the disciples knew very well what Jesus was talking about. You see, Jesus points out the fact that in the Gentile community, the, the Gentile way of ruling things, of leadership, the kings and the leaders of, of their community will do anything it takes to get the upper hand on their opponents. They don't care who they hurt or what they have to do in order to get the upper hand so they, become, they can get the position that, they, that they're seeking after. And Jesus Christ says, you know how the Gentiles have their community set up. You know how their leadership works. They don't care who they hurt or what they have to do to get what they want. And that is not how it's going to be with my followers. Jesus Christ says, that's that's not not how it should be with the followers of Jesus Christ. That's not how it should be for those who follow God. You can't be like the Gentiles. And Christ wanted them so much so... To, to to be different. He was trying to teach him to be something, you could say, counter-cultural. While everybody in their community was, was teaching selfishness and do whatever you, you can to get what you want, Christ says, No, that's not how you're going, that's not how you're going to to live your life. That's not how you're supposed to serve me. And how many conversations with Jesus do we see in the Bible that don't go the way you think, right? In Matthew. Um, um, well, we'll get into that a little bit later, but Christ was teaching something super countercultural at the time. And throughout his whole ministry, he did that, right? Matthew, he says that to gain your life, you must lose it. In, this, in chapter 19, he says that to receive, you must first give. And in this chapter, he says, if you want to be great, if you want to lead, you need to learn how to be a servant. That is, that's what he's teaching his disciples, and then we see he gives him a final piece of instruction, verse 28. And I really want to read this. He says, even as, the son of, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He taught them something super countercultural, something very difficult, a way of life that would be very difficult for them to live in their society. But he says, you have a perfect example of how to do that in me. Jesus Christ set himself. He came to earth and lived life as a servant. In fact, you could say that the, that the very fact that he's standing in front of them teaching him this le- teaching them this lesson is a picture of his servitude. You say, what do you mean? You say, Jesus Christ never had to come down to earth as a man to pay the price for our sin debt, but him his love for us led him to, to come down to earth to become a selfless servant to pay the price for our sins, and he lived a perfect, selfless life, that of a servant. And Christ is saying, don't live your life after these Gentiles the way they live, no, rather, live your life like I lived mine, like I am living mine, as a selfless servant. Now, I'm preaching this um, because, it's, like I said, this is something the Lord has been working on in my heart, He's been convicting me about, and I, I, don't, I don't want, I just want to kind of set this, the stage here, I, I don't want uh, you guys to look at me and think, oh my goodness, he, He's preaching out against us, because... Honestly, since my wife and I first got here, and even over these past couple weeks with youth rally going on, I, I, can, I can honestly 100%, without a shadow of a doubt, say that this church is characterized by, by servants, people who serve. And, and I'm so blessed to be part of a church family who, who is characterized by that. But I believe that just like the disciples, they were servants. They were following after the one true God. We can find ourselves in the place where we, we, we allow our own selfish desires, our own selfish, you could say, ambitions, our ambitions for power, position, you could say for praise, for glory, to become the reason that we serve, that we do what we do. And I, the Lord has been working on this in my heart. And like, like I said, I just wanted to be clear. I'm not pointing anybody out. This is just something the Lord worked on my heart. And I think it'd be good as a reminder, you could say, God already preached this to me. And um, to be kind of open with everybody, with the church family here, um, it could be easy for me to think, man, I, we'll use the youth rally for example, right? The Lord, the Lord, the Lord really humbled me in this. He's, I, was, I was trying to make the perfect youth rally, you know? And I'm the youth pastor at Shawnee Mission Baptist Temple, and I'm with a great church family, and I'm putting this youth rally together. I don't know what I'm doing, but I want it to be so good. And, and if I wasn't careful, I wanted to, I, The reason I was doing it was because, you know, what I wanted to hear afterwards was, that was a great youth rally, Brother Lalo. That was great. Man, Brother Lala, you're doing so good with the teens. Good job. But God humbled when he said, You know why you should look at this position instead of, You get to serve me with your life, and I take care of of your finances? They pay you to serve me. How incredible is that? And God was really teaching me something that... If I'm not careful, I'll find myself in the same position as the disciples. I say I've given my life to God. I'm centered to full-time service. I'm in the ministry. I get to serve in a great man of God. But if I'm not careful, that may all look good on the outside. But I become gems, just like James and John, and I start doing things. I start serving people, and it's not for the right reasons. It's because I'm doing it for position, for glory, for power, for the praise that it can get me. And just like the disciples in this passage, Jesus had to teach me and Jesus had to teach all of us that sometimes we have to, whether we know it or not, we've gotten ourselves in a position where we're just serving selfishly. But Christ doesn't want that for us. He wants us to be selfless servants. Selfless servants. The journey from selfish service to selfless servitude. So I want to look at four things that I think the Lord revealed in this passage that can help us. There's four points, and I'll I'll blow through them quickly. Four things that we can apply to our lives to help us go from selfish service to selfless servants. The first thing is in verse number 20. It says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with uh, with her sons, worshipping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And the first thing I have is check your motives. You see, James and John were servants of Christ. They were following the one and only true Messiah. They believed in him wholeheartedly. But at some point, their motives changed. And, and, and their motives, they were serving him for the wrong reasons. And the Lord taught me, and I think, I think it's, it's good for all, us, all of us to hear that whenever we're, if we want to go from selfish service to selfless servants, the first thing we need to do is check our motives. What are your motives for you teaching that Sunday school every single Sunday faithfully? What are your motives for you practicing that song? Is it so that you sound super good and everybody says, You did so good? That was a blessing. And it, it's even, there's pastor preaches, I'm, I'm trying to learn how to preach. And Brother Gus is here, he's, he's, he's preaching different churches. Even in writing a sermon, you can fall prey to the idea that you want to write a good sermon so that people tell you, Brother Lalo, that's such a great message. What are my motives? What are your motives for the service you do for the Lord? Check your motives. James and John did not have the right motives in serving God. They were after their own power and position. They wanted to be above the rest. And I've seen it so many times, um, how motives, um, I'm preaching about, you know, you're serving and what are your motives for preaching, but, for, for serving the Lord, but it could even, you can even flip the coin and say, sometimes your motives will lead you to drop out from serving. And you say, what do you mean? Well, sometimes your motives will lead you to, tr- to try and be comfortable, to, to, to fulfill the lust of you being comfortable. I don't want to put in that much effort. I don't want to have to be faithful. I have other things I want to I do. If, our, if we don't keep our motives in check, let me just say it this way, if we don't let God control our motives, it can be very easy for us to find ourselves in the same position as James and John, seeking serving, or you could say dropping out of serving, for the very wrong reasons, for praise, for position, for our comfort. For our own selfish desires and ambitions. Check your motives. The next thing is in verse twenty three. That's gonna be be ready to face difficulty. Be ready to face difficulty. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be. When we want to live life as Christ wanted us to live as a servant, we're gonna face difficulty. Christ was teaching the disciples to live as servants in a a culture that was teaching the opposite. And I could apply that so easily nowadays because if that was true back in Jesus' day, how much more true is it now? Christ wants his believers to be selfless servants in a society that teaches you to do whatever you can to do, whatever you can do to get what you want. It doesn't matter what you have to do. It doesn't matter who you have to hurt. It doesn't matter how you have the lies you have to tell. It doesn't, none of that matters. It doesn't matter who you have to cheat. You do what you want to do, you do what you have to do to get what you want. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do what, just do everything you can to do to to get to the place you want to be. And Christ is teaching something that's so counter cultural back then, it's still counter cultural today, and that He wants to be selfish, selfless servants in a society that teaches you to be selfish, selfish in every aspect of your life. And when you do that in a society that's selfish, you're gonna be faced with opposition. When you try to be a servant in a society that teaches you to do everything for yourself, you're gonna be faced with opposition. And if that wasn't enough, we have something called the flesh that's attached to us 24-7 that's always fighting against us from being selfless, from being a servant to those around us. Check your motives. Be ready to face difficulty. Difficulty from the world and from even, even from your own flesh. Philippians 1 verse 29 says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him but also to suffer for His sake. When we follow Jesus Christ with our lives, especially in this society, and he leads you to become a servant, to be a selfless servant, you're going to be faced with a lot of difficulty. From the world around you, sometimes from your own family members, even from your own flesh, you're going to be faced with opposition. Check your motives. What are your motives for serving the Lord? And be ready to face the difficulty that comes with being a servant. Now, if this wasn't hard enough, there's another thing we're supposed to do to become selfless servants. That's in verse 25 to 27, and that is to place others before your own needs or desires. In a culture, like I said, in a culture that prioritizes self, Christ wants us to place the needs of others before our own. Selfishness will always result in division among brethren and ignoring of God's will. And when we're born, it's almost like the human default operating system is always set on what? Me, me, me. Selfishness. And it's so hard to turn that dial to selfless. In a society that teaches you to be selfish, it's our human nature. Someone once said, a true servant is one who subdues the autonomy of self and subjects their will to the needs of others. And he, here's, what, here's what I'm trying to say is, if you want to truly become great, if you really want to become great in the eyes of the Lord, then we must give up our own personal rights and live to serve others. And our main ambition should be to minister to other people, not to be admired by other people or whatever it can gain us. So we need to check our motives. We need to be ready to face the opposition that's going to come with being a servant to others and being selfless to others. We need to, we need to learn to place the needs of others before our own, no matter how difficult it's going to be. And yeah, that, that's a pretty hard task ahead of us. Me working at Shawnee Mission Baptist Temple at a church, it's still hard for me to do sometimes. Imagine living, working out in the world as the teens are growing up and they they have to start working for themselves and they eventually start their own families. It's, it's, It's hard. It's hard to put the needs of others above your own, especially when the people that you're trying to serve don't want to serve back. They can't even say a simple thank you. In fact, they just spit in your face. It's difficult. It's hard. But the same example that Christ left for the disciples is the same example we have for us today. And that's Jesus Christ. Verse 28 says, Even as a son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Christ was the perfect example of servitude. He always put the needs of others before himself, before his own needs. And even so, that, that point is so true to the fact that he gave up his position in heaven to become a lonely human being to pay the price for our sins. What a greater picture of service do we have than that? And just the way he lived his life. Christ says, I know what I'm asking you to do is going to be hard. And I know it goes against your human nature. And I know it it goes against what society wants you to live. But let me tell you, that's why I came to earth and I lived an example of how you're supposed to live. And with my strength, with my power, you can live a life that is characterized as a selfless servant. And this wasn't a very deep message, you could say. It's, you know, people preach on selfishness all the time. But like I said, the Lord made it so evident to me in my life recently. Pastor always tells me whenever we talk about sermons is rocks and donkeys. And we'll we'll quote that sometimes, especially after somebody says, oh, good job on your message, Pastor. Good job on your message, Brother Lalo. Rocks and donkeys. You say, what do you mean? Well, God uses rocks and donkeys in the Bible to preach. So we should be honored that he gets to use us to preach. But we, why do we have to come up with a quote like that? Well, because it's easy for me to start preaching, for us to preach and serve the Lord with our lives for the wrong motives, for the right reasons, with our own ambitions in mind. And it's easy for us to start, to start putting our needs above the needs of others to, to reach those ambitions, those goals. So the four things were check your motives, be ready to face difficulty, place the needs of others before your own, and, for, and lastly, live like Christ lived. It's not going to be an easy task. but With his help, we can do it. And like I said, it wasn't deep, but I think it's a great reminder because this journey that we're on of trying to be selfless servants, being a servant to those around us, this battle that we're going to have to face to get to that point is going to have to go on as long as we live on this earth, which is why I think sometimes we need just a little checkpoint, a little reminder to remind us that Christ came to earth as a servant and we're supposed to imitate Christ. We're supposed to let we're supposed to live, live, live life like He did, as a selfless servant. See, the world we live in doesn't need any more selfish Christians. There's enough of those. And the world we live in doesn't need any more selfish celebrities, athletes, politicians, kings and queens, presidents. The world we live in doesn't need pastors who are selfish and they steal from their, from their church. The world we live in doesn't need selfish um, uh, parents destroying families because of their own selfish desires and lusts. And the world we live in doesn't need more Christians compromising, selfish Christians I could say, compromising on their standards simply because they want a certain praise or acquisition from, from friends at work or something like that. The world we live in needs servant pastors and missionaries who will pour their lives into their, to the people God's called them to. The world we live in needs pastors who put the needs of their flock above their own. And I'm thankful for a pastor who does that. A pastor who, who will drop whatever he's doing to put the needs of us above his own. The world needs husbands who put the needs of their wives above their own. Wives who put their husbands' needs above their own. And the parents need to see a loving relationship between two selfless parents who love each other. Selfless parents who love on them. And, and as a youth pastor, I have to preach to the teens a little bit. But you know what the world needs is teenagers who are selfless servants who go out into the world and show the rest of the world that you don't have to be a spoiled, selfish brat like the rest of the teenagers around the world are. Selfless servitude can be applied to teenagers as well. The world needs church members who will serve selflessly regardless of whether they receive praise or recognition for whatever they do. The world needs those who will serve faithfully even when it would seem easy to just take the easy road out and fulfill the, you could say, the motives of their comfort, of of taking it easy on a Sunday every once in a while or uh, maybe I just show up to preaching because, you know what, my motive is I want to be comfortable. I don't, want to, I don't want God to stretch me. The world needs Christians, like Pastor preached, the value of a soul this morning. We preached about the salvation message this morning. It's what it was. And the world needs selfless Christians who are going to go out and not care if people praise them, not care if people ridicule them, who go out and share the gospel unashamed. Selfless servants will go out and share the gospel with others. And let me tell you, when the world, when the world, I think the world will receive the gospel a lot better when the person it's coming from, all they can see is, That's a servant. I want to listen to what they're talking about. All they do is serve others. Christ is calling us to be servants in a world that goes against that. But man, do we need selfless servants. Another quote says, Do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, for as long as you can. Selfless servants. Even worldly people recognize whenever somebody is not selfish, whenever somebody puts the needs of others before them. And just think of what we could do for Jesus Christ when the world, we could say, when Johnson County, when Shawnee sees Shawnee Mission Baptist Temple, that church is full of selfless servants. Servants, that their motive is just simply to glorify God with their life, with their body. Who who, who are facing difficulty head on together as a family. Who who are putting the needs of others before their own. Think about the impact that a church like that could have. In a, think about the impact you individually at your workplace to your lost family members. Think about what you could do for Jesus Christ if you simply lowered yourself to be a selfless servant for him. The world needs Christians who show what Christ is like. And he was a selfless servant to the world. You can go ahead and close your eyes. We'll go ahead and lead us in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity, Lord, and I just, I just thank you, Lord, for this truth you made real in my life, Lord, and I just pray you keep on growing me, Lord, and helping me, Lord, to go from um, selfish service, Lord, to a selfless servant, and I pray that uh, you use this message, Lord, to maybe um, use it as a checkpoint, maybe for the people here, Lord, that um, a church you've already used, Lord, a church full of servants, a reminder, Lord, that what you need is servants, God. Nobody with selfish motives, serving you for their own proper, for their own praise or their own position, Lord, but just selfless servants. And I pray you help us all, Lord, to come humble before you, and I allow you to use us as your servants, faithfully for whatever you have for us. Thank you for everything you've done, Lord. Just be with us, Lord. And if you're speaking to any hearts, Lord, I pray you convict them, Lord, and pry them to come forward, Lord, even in their seat, Lord. Help them, Lord, to get things right with you, Lord, to continue doing the things they've been doing for you. In your enemy pray. Amen. As as we all stand, um, just get to sing. But uh, just ask yourself: Are you selfishly serving for what you can gain from it? Are you dropping out of serving Christ or at church to fulfill your comforts? Are you showing Christ by self by being self a selfless servant with your life? The J. Um, then patch program will be starting back on, will be this Wednesday, September 13th. If you have any questions, you can talk to Brother Stephen Foster. Uh, we do have Brother John Roy, he'll be preaching with us September 17th. Uh, men's recharge coming up September 22nd to 23rd. Uh, the preachers are listed there. The cost is $60, so that includes a t-shirt. And there is a sign-up sheet in the foyer, and the deadline is today, actually. So if you want to sign up and go to that, you can go ahead and sign up. The deadline is today, and Brother Carl will definitely take the list, so make sure you sign up for that. Uh, the ladies' dinner, as we go to uh, to get preached at, the, gr- the ladies get to have dinner, September 22nd at Sombrero's at 6 p.m., and all ladies are invited, uh, and then we have a rival c- revival coming up September 24th through the 27th, where the Harold Wells will be with us for the revival, and then outreach coming up October 7th, uh, it's good to put that in your calendars already, so... Uh, Thank you all for being here. We'll go ahead and close in a word of prayer. And uh, it was a great Sunday. The music was awesome. And it was just awesome to be back home with our church family. So thank you all. Uh, Brother Foster, if you go ahead and pray for us. Dismiss us.